The rest of you can open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. And as Rob mentioned, uh, we're starting a new series, diving into the book of Jeremiah. People have asked me, Ben, why Jeremiah? Well, first of all, I really, as I was thinking about these next nine weeks, I really wanted to get into a book in the Old Testament. Uh, I wanted to get into a prophet as well, and specifically an unfamiliar prophet. Uh, a lot of people talk about Isaiah, a lot of people talk about Jonah. Uh, I wanted to get into one of the more uh, unfamiliar prophets. There was also a, a book I read a couple years ago that uh, talked a lot about Jeremiah that I just loved. But more than all of that, why Jeremiah? Because it's in the Bible. And because here at Neighborhood Bible Church, we love getting in to God's Word. We love talking about the Bible. We speak to the whole Bible. We believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In fact, in the... 12 years uh, that we've been going as a church, here's some of the different series that we've gone through that have directly addressed books of the Bible. We've gone through a series on Judges, two series on the book of Psalms. Uh, We're diving into Jeremiah today. We did a series on John, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, James, 2 Peter, we also did a series called The Step of Yes, where we looked at portions out of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Jonah, and Zephaniah. The youth uh, followed along with the series in John, the series in James, and the series in Ephesians. And the youth have also done series on the books of 1 Timothy, Jonah, Revelation, and they just finished one on Ecclesiastes. So we love the Bible. We love getting into the Bible. We love talking about God's Word. I look forward to the day when we've covered every book of the Bible on Sundays and we just need to get back in and keep going. So why Jeremiah? Because it's a part of the Bible. It's a part of God's Word. And we're diving in to God's Word. You know how the mere mention of something can make it more noticeable. You know, like you're driving around and, you know, you might not notice a Subaru, but when you start shopping for a Subaru, all of a sudden you see Subarus everywhere, right? Or your best friend, like, takes you for a ride in their new Subaru, or your pastor mentions Subaru and you head out of church after and you just see Subarus all over the place. You're welcome, by the way. Uh... This totally happened to me with Jeremiah. As I started prepping and diving into the book and and just studying it and preparing for this series, I I started seeing it all over the place. In a book I was reading, in a a message I was listening to, uh, in a blog I was reading, even on Facebook, I, I started seeing Jeremiah just pop up all over the place. But I really hope that happens to you too as we go through this series. In fact, if you haven't read it before, or if you're looking for something to read, 
Read Jeremiah. I've talked to many of you who have already started reading it knowing that this series was coming up. And since we're tackling the longest book in the Bible by Hebrew word count in nine weeks, we're not going to get to every single verse. So I encourage you to dive in and read it. Now, as we dive in um, to our series on Jeremiah this morning, we're going to look at a few things today. We're going to look at the history. We're going to look at the context. We're going to look at the prophet himself. We're going to look at some main themes. And we're also going to look at how this points to Jesus. But first, and I jumped ahead a little bit so you already know, what are we calling the series? Creativity at its finest right here. We're calling it Jeremiah. But there are four themes throughout the book that we're going to focus on that I put as a part of the series title there to remind you uh, what to be looking for as we read. We're going to get into these in a little bit, but first, like I said, we're going to look at history, we're going to look at context, we're going to look at the prophet. Uh, And as we do, let me pray. God, thank you for your word. God, it's just so awesome to open up your Bible, uh, to, to dive in and to hear what you have to say to us. God, your word never returns void, but always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. So God, as we dive in this morning, touch our hearts, touch our lives, move us. Draw us closer to yourself. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. You're open to Jeremiah? Good. If you're not, open up Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were Anathanoth, Anathoth, I'm horrible at these names. In the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. A lot of names to start off this book. But what it does is this little snippet right here tells us a little bit about Jeremiah, which we'll get to soon, but it also gives us a timeline of the book, kind of lets us know when this all took place. In fact, Jeremiah's prophecies took place from around 630 BC to 586 BC. It spanned about 40 years. There were five different kings of Judah during the time. And also, Jeremiah prophesied concurrently with four or five other prophets. So Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Ezekiel, and Daniel were all prophesying at that time. And maybe Obadiah as well. We're not 100% sure on Obadiah. But this takes place in the time before and leading up to the Babylonian captivity of Judah. Some of you like maps. Here's a map. 
and it's actually a relevant map too, which is a great thing. Uh, this is showing the, the exile out of Judah into Babylon uh, and the possible route that they went as they left. But just to give you an idea of what's going on during this time. Now, at this time, Israel had been in captivity for about a hundred years already. Remember that after Solomon was king, the nation of Israel split, and there were ten tribes that were the nation of Israel, and then the other two tribes that were the nation of Judah. And so there were separate kings over Israel and Judah and during that time, and the nation of Israel was taken into captivity by Assyria, And so they've been in captivity for about a hundred years at this time. And now Jeremiah and these other prophets are warning that they didn't repent um, and they're going to go into exile. Okay, giving away the ending. But I think a lot of you know that already. So that's a little bit about the history. Now I want to talk about the context. Now context is more than history. History tells us what was going on at the time. Now, that's a part of context. History talks about who, talks about where, talks about when. Context dives into more. Yes, like I said, history is a part of context, but context can also answer some of the questions of what, of why, and of how. And this is really key when you're looking at Scripture, particularly as you're looking at the prophets. Now, we're really careful as we go through Scripture, and it's important for anyone that's diving into Scripture and reading it to not take it out of context. Don't we dare take things out of context. So as we dive into this series, there's, there's a number of verses in Jeremiah that are Instagrammable. You know, they, they, you know, you, you make them look beautiful. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a beautiful verse. And we're going to look at it in context. We're going to dive into why that was said and, and who that was said to. There's, there's verses like this you might be familiar with. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Beautiful. But we're going to look at that in context and what's going on. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Again, just happy verses. All three of these just like can put a smile on your face. But when you read the whole book, You're hard-pressed sometimes to put a smile on your face. And so we're going to look at these verses in the context of what's going on and why those things were said. Um, So I, I wanted to speak to that. Now, there's a mistake that can often be made with prophets. And it's a mistake that that I've made multiple times. And as I was preparing for Jeremiah, I I realized it. When you're studying a book of the Bible, you're taught to ask questions. Who wrote this book of the Bible? To whom was it written? Why was it written? And I realized as I was preparing for this that when I would read prophets, I would ask the question, who prophesied? To whom did he prophesy? Why did he prophesy? 
But we're missing something key with that. Not only do we need to look at the questions about prophecy, which are really more historical questions, but we also need to ask why these prophecies were written down. Why were these prophecies written down? See, it's easy when you think about prophets, and and when someone tosses out the word prophet, to instantly go and think of the prophetic books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Bacchus, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the prophets, right? Those, you know, and Lamentations isn't the name of a guy, you know. Um, Yeah, but those right there, those are the prophets. Well, no, those are the prophets that had things written down, that wrote down what they prophesied. But there are a ton of other prophets in Scripture. But we don't have what those prophets said. We don't have their prophecies written down. Samuel, we don't have his prophecies. Nathan, the prophet Nathan who comes and rebukes David, we don't have a lot of his prophecies. Elijah, Elisha, just to name a few, they prophesied and we know a lot about them, but we don't have what they wrote down. So we need not to ask just about why something was prophesied, but also why it was written down. So, why was Jeremiah written down? Well, Jeremiah was actually written twice. Jeremiah had had written everything down with the help of a scribe named Baruch and got most of the way done. And then the king said, well, I don't like that, and grabbed it all and burned it. And then they started again, which we'll find out as we go through the book. But it was finished right around the time that Judah was taken into exile. This is so critical as you read the book, to read from the mindset of someone that is in exile. Someone who has been taken from their homeland against their will, but also someone who has been repeatedly told that the exile was coming and didn't listen or didn't change their ways. Off they go, being taken to exile. Here you go. Hey, take this with you. You're going to need some reading material, you know, while you're in exile for 70 years. Now, we're going to get into this later this morning, but this makes Jeremiah read in a very, very different way. In a very different way. So context is really, really important. All right. Now, let's talk about the prophet. So again, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So right in those two verses, we find out two things about Jeremiah. We find out that he was a priest. His dad was a priest. He was a priest. But we also find out that the word of the Lord came to him. We find out that he's a prophet. But something else I found out as, as I studied Jeremiah, as I, as I looked at who the guy was, I found out that Jeremiah was young. 
When he was called by God to be a prophet, Jeremiah was probably in his late teens or early 20s. He was a young, young guy. And he was called to speak bluntly and harshly to his elders, the people that he looked up to, the people who were training him, raising him up. He had to come and give them some bad news. It would be like David Adam walking in to an elders meeting and saying, guys, you are headed in the wrong direction. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Needless to say, he wasn't anticipating being very well received, which is probably why he responded the way he did in chapter one. Let's read the rest of Jeremiah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is Jeremiah speaking, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand, put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So here Jeremiah hesitates. In verse 6, Lord God, I, I don't know how to speak. I am only a youth. And then God has some choice things to say back to him. But then, after God says this all to him, Jeremiah sees two visions. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. By the way, an almond branch would bloom. The almond tree would bloom earlier than the others. So it was a harbinger of what, it, what was coming. So here it's representing the impending judgment. So Jeremiah knew, yeah, okay, it's an almond tree. It's coming before the others, showing what's coming. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. So think about the pot, think about the spigot facing away from the north. So what's coming out of the pot, what's pouring out of the pot is pouring towards the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. 
Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So who was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a priest. He was a prophet. He was young, which again, really important to have. But more importantly than that, he was called. Jeremiah was called. God calls Jeremiah. Jeremiah feels inadequate, not capable. What does God say to him? Look again at verses 18 and 19. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God calls Jeremiah. And lest we think that this is an isolated incident, that God calls someone. God calls Moses. Moses feels inadequate, not capable. What does God say? In Exodus 4, God says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and will teach you what you shall speak. God calls Joshua. Joshua feels inadequate, not capable. What does God say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God calls Gideon. Gideon feels inadequate, not capable. What does God say in Judges 6? But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Jesus calls 12 men. They were inadequate, not capable. What does Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what has God called you to? But Ben, God hasn't called me to do anything. If you're a follower of Jesus... If you have been saved by grace through faith, God has something in mind for you. Don't believe me? Dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Some of you know exactly what that is. And you're doing it. Keep going. Be faithful. 
Some of you know exactly what God has called you to do. The gifts that he has given you, the way he wants you to serve, but you're not doing it. Get going. The God of the universe has called you. He wants you to be serving him. God calls Jeremiah. It's important to note a couple of things. First of all, a lot of the examples I read. Consistently, what does God say? I am with you. What does God tell Jeremiah? Verse 19, I am with you. When God calls you to something, he doesn't leave you to it. But he promises to be with you every step of the way. But also when he calls you to something, he makes sure you're equipped. Jeremiah was equipped. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. God doesn't just send Jeremiah out and say, hey, good luck. But he equips him. He puts his words into Jeremiah. So that as Jeremiah speaks, it's not his words, but it's God's. Now, let me just touch on the four main themes in the book. I'd encourage you, as you read the book of Jeremiah, to be looking out for these. We're going to take time looking at each of these as we go through the book. So I won't spend a lot of time on them now. But I want you all to know what we're going to be looking at and what we're going to be looking for. More than that, I want you to know the themes we'll be focusing on so you can be praying along these lines. Maybe God has something to say to you in one of these areas. Maybe it's an area where you need to grow. I pray that as we go through the book of Jeremiah, that God will speak to you. So here they are, and you can write them down. Uh, There's space for it on your notes. First is lament. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. A lot of people, in fact, attribute the book of Lamentations to uh, Jeremiah as well. There's debate as to the authorship of Lamentations. But even without Lamentations thrown in, there's still a lot of weeping that Jeremiah does throughout the book of Jeremiah. He weeps multiple times in the book. But God also laments. Judah laments. Next Sunday, we're going to talk a lot more about the subject of lament and just get into it. So lament. Next, faithfulness. Like I mentioned before, Jeremiah's words were not well received. They weren't. So much so that he was mocked, 
He was ridiculed. He was jailed. He was put in stocks. He was beaten. He was kidnapped. But through all of that, Jeremiah remained faithful to what God had called him to do. It's amazing to see. So we're going to look at faithfulness as well. Third main theme, judgment. This one should come as no surprise that this is a main theme in Jeremiah. Like we just read, in even in chapter 1, setting up the whole book, God says, hey, judgment is coming. It's what he lays out in the first chapter, and this is his main message to Judah throughout the rest of the book. This is what God is trying to get across. Judgment. So we're going to talk about judgment as well. And then finally, hope. Hope is the fourth theme we're going to look at. And this comes back to why Jeremiah, the book, was written down. And frankly, why most of the prophetic books are written. To offer hope. Just a couple months ago, as I was going through uh, my reading plan, I read through the prophets. And it was so cool as I was thinking about this series coming up and uh, had been studying a little bit, I couldn't help but see hope everywhere as I read. Little sprinkles of hope in each of the prophetic books. It's all over the place. Remember, the nation of Judah is reading the book of Jeremiah while they're in exile. So, as they're reading, not only are they sitting and dealing with, hopefully, the weight of their sin, the loss. As they're reading this, they're, they're looking at time after time that Jeremiah came and said, you need to turn. You need to repent. Judgment is coming. You're going to be taken into exile. You're going to be drawn away. And they're sitting in exile reading this and going, man, we blew it. We missed it. But then they also see the hope that Jeremiah puts in there. The hope that, that God will come and restore and redeem. And so they see it in a fresh way with new eyes. It's, it's along the same lines of a guy that's on probation and is being told, hey, you've got to follow these steps or you're going to be put back in jail. Hey, you've got to do this and this and this or you're going to be taken back to jail. Hey, you've got to follow these things or you're going to be put back to jail. I know as your probation officer, me saying all those things, like they're not fun to hear, but I, I, I promise you, like this is for your restoration. This is, I, I, I've, I've got this plan for you. I want you to be restored. I want you to be brought back as a member of society, etc., etc., etc. And then the guy doesn't follow through with those things and he winds up back in jail. And he's brought back to, oh yeah, what did my probation officer keep telling me? And told me if I didn't do those things that I'd wind up back in jail and here I am sitting in jail. But what else did my probation officer say? 
my probation officer also told me that this was for my good and, you know, that he's wanting to restore and, you know, so, so he, he grabs onto this idea of hope. Well, you know, the bad stuff that was promised happened. The, the good stuff that's promised is also going to happen. And sure, you know, it's not the perfect example because probation officers aren't perfect, but see, God comes through on his promises. And he said, hey, Judah, if you don't follow through, you are going to go into exile. But I will restore. I will redeem. I will not forget you. So as they're sitting in exile reading, you can't help but see hope. God is going to come through on these promises. So hope is a huge theme in Jeremiah. Where is Jesus in Jeremiah? We're talking about the Old Testament. Jesus hasn't been born on earth yet. Well, as we read all of Scripture, and as our family ministry curriculum does such a great job of, we should be looking for Jesus. All of Scripture is about Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus coming. And the New Testament talks about who he was on this earth uh, and, and the work that he did and the redemption that he brought. Jesus is in Jeremiah. Now, he's expressly pointed to a couple of times as the righteous branch. In Jeremiah 23, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And in Jeremiah 33, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. So Jesus is expressly pointed to in the book of Jeremiah. There's also actually a lot of similarities between Jeremiah and Jesus. So much so that some people thought that Jesus was Jeremiah brought back to life. Matthew 16, 14 points to that. But also a couple other similarities. Both wept over Jerusalem. We'll see that Jeremiah weeps over Jerusalem, but multiple times Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Both also condemned the commercialization of the temple. In Jeremiah 7, it says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Which should sound familiar to many of you, because Jesus says in Matthew 21, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And so as we look back and understand who Jesus is, we see even Jeremiah, the person, pointing towards Jesus. 
But where we see Jesus the most in Jeremiah is the whole concept of hope. As the Israelites sat in exile, knowing that they deserved to be there, they read about redemption. And that gave them hope. In the same way, as we read scripture, we know what we deserve. What our sin has earned us. But we read about redemption. We read about what God has done for us. We read about the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And that should give us hope. There are so many passages about this. But let me just point out a few of Jesus' words that he gave to his disciples just before he was crucified. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jeremiah's message was recorded to give the nation of Israel hope. So as we read and study the book, we need to see the hope that was offered them. And the same God that offered them hope in the midst of exile offers us hope. We need to focus on the hope offered to us. We're going to sing this line. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Hope. Let me read you out of Romans chapter 5. The hope that we have in Christ. The hope that he gives us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we, be, shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received 
reconciliation. Let that give you hope. Let Jesus be your hope. Jesus, um, there's not much more that I could say than thank you. Thank you for offering hope. God, as a nation was disobedient, as a nation was taken into exile, you still offered hope. You, you don't give up on your own. God, you don't give up on us. I'm so thankful for that. God, I'm thankful for the hope that you offer to us. Thankful for the example we see in Jeremiah. And God, thankful for what you've done for us while we were still sinners. You died for us. Thank you so much for that. We love you. Amen.